0: Genesis chapter 19, we're going to read, beginning in verse 1, down to verse 17, and then on into the chapter as we go. Genesis chapter 19, verse 1. Genesis 19 and verse 1, it says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot seeing them rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold, now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and, he, and entered into his house, and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot, and said unto him, Where are the men which come in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them, and shut the door after him, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said stand back and they said again this one fellow came in to sojourn and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man even Lot and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And the man said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. When the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth, and set him without the city. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Verse 24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind and she became a pillar of salt. Verse 30. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him. For he feared to dwell in Soar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger she also bare a son and called his name Ben-Ami, the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious and holy word. We come this morning to a passage of scripture with which I presume most of us are very well familiar. I have preached on this passage many, many times in the course of my ministry. And the easiest thing for me to do this morning as I come to this particular tract of scripture would be to preach against the sins of Sodom, uh, particularly concerning homosexual practice. But this morning I'm not going to take that tact ...with this particular passage. I have no doubt that I could preach on the sin of homosexuality. And most of you would be very happy for me to do that... ...because it would make for very easy listening. We're always happier when the preacher is preaching on somebody else's sins. So in that regard, if I were to preach today against the LGBT movement... ...I would be largely preaching to the gallery... And you would be happy to amen me. It rather reminds me of when I was a young draftsman and uh, I had to attend site meetings every fortnight. And at this particular uh, site meeting, uh, I would go and the foreman would go around the various subcontractors and get an update on the progress of their particular contribution to the building. And unfortunately for me, my company were about two months behind time. And so when he would come to me and he would ask me for an update, I would tell him that we were two months behind time, and he would then tear strips off me and would you know call me all kinds of names, it was just a terrible situation, and uh, I had to do this on a fortnightly basis, and it got to the point where I really hated going to that site meeting, because I knew what was lying ahead for me that day, and that I would be humiliated in front of a room full of strangers, as this foreman would take the opportunity uh, to tear into me. But one particular day, I went along and I was dreading going as always. And I sat down there, and, uh, and the first words that came out of the foreman's words were there has been a fish kill. And someone has poured liquid aluminium into the river and thousands of fish have been killed. And I knew that that was not our company. We did not deal in liquid aluminium. And I knew that somebody else was going to get the blame that day. And so he turned it to another fellow who had to hold up his hand and say, that was us. And he tore strips off him. And you know what? I sat back and I rather enjoyed it. Because it wasn't me. I was glad that he wasn't picking on my faults. And we're like that. We're very happy when the pastor preaches on someone else's sin and not on ours. But this morning I'm going to focus primarily not upon the sins of Sodom's citizens, but the sins of Abraham's nephew, Lot. Lot is the perfect picture of a backslidden Christian. He is worldly, And he is weak. He is at home in this world. He is making his way. He is feeding his family. He is providing for his needs. He's enjoying all of the pleasures of life that Sodom affords him. But he is completely ineffectual as a witness. Now that's where a lot of us are. It wasn't that Lot approved of the lifestyle of his neighbors. If the truth be told, he found much of what they did to be deeply offensive. Yet he did nothing about it until the very end came. And then we see how powerless his life had become. Now make no mistake about it this morning, friends. Lot was a saved man. The Bible tells us so. Look in 2 Peter, if you will, and chapter 2. 2 Peter and chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading in verse 6. And it speaks about how the Lord turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that afterward should live ungodly. But notice verse 7 and 8. And delivered just Lot. Now that's not Lot alone, because obviously he came out with his wife and his two children So the word just there doesn't mean only Lot, but means that Lot was justified, delivered a justified man, Lot, fixed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, fixed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So he's referred to as just Lot, one who is stand, who has a standing before God, who is justified before God. He was a saved man. That passage in Peter calls him a righteous man no less. He's contrasted with the unjust and he's counted among the godly as an example of those who were delivered by the Lord in times of trial, specifically from the destruction of Sodom. Now, as we look into chapter 19 of Genesis, we might be forgiven for thinking, well, there's no way could this man be considered a godly man. There is no chance that he's even truly saved. But remember this, that in the matter of salvation, that uh, whilst man looketh on the outward appearance, God looks upon the heart. God looketh on the heart. Lot was saved, not as a consequence of his behavior or of the way he lived, but he was saved by grace through faith alone. He had believed the witness of Abram concerning the land of promise. He had followed that word as truth and as a consequence was declared just. And although he lived in Sodom, every day of his life there, he was grieved by all that he saw going on around him. He was, in Peter's words, vexed. By it all. That is, he was weary of it. He was worn down by it. The word means he was tortured and distressed by the things that he saw in that city. It was spiritually an oppressive place for him to dwell. And yet, as we shall see, he did nothing or little to nothing to change it. Notice, first of all, Lot's worldliness. Lot's problem, you will recall, is first revealed all the way back in Genesis chapter 13. You'll remember there was at that time a dispute between the herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen of Lot, their flocks having increased, they, each of their herdsmen felt that the one was encroaching upon the feeding grounds of the other. And so a decision was taken between Abram and Lot that they should separate and go their, uh, their, their uh, separate ways. And so that's what was done. Lot was given first choice of the land. And we know that he chose the plain of Sodom because it was well watered. It was fertile territory. It was fertile ground and he saw that he could make ready and easy profit there. Lot's choice was focused upon the here and the now. He knew that the well watered plains before him would yield great profits and increase his flocks further and he had done his sons. The Bible says at that point the land before him was in his eyes like the land of Egypt as thou comest unto Zoar. Egypt in scripture is a type of the world. Lot saw this place, this worldly place. And remember by this time, Lot had already been in Egypt. He had liked what he saw when he was in Egypt. And now he had come out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in Lot. Lot was a worldly man. You see, he was driven by money. In those early days, Lot knew that the city of Sodom was an exceedingly Wicked place to live, and so although he chose to live close by, he didn't live within its perimeters within its precincts, he simply pitched his tent toward Sodom, and that 's where his problems really began and that 's where a lot of Christians, when you think about it, are there are Christians, and maybe you are one of them, and you're not all together in the world, you're not all altogether doing worldly things, but you're as living as close to the world as you possibly. can without being fully identified with the world. And there are many people like that, many believers that are like that. You know, they err through the love of money. They seek all the income they can possibly make, and money becomes their main thing. And yet Jesus said what? You cannot serve God and mammon. He says you can't serve money and at the same time serve me. Now we're not saying that money is evil. We're not saying you don't need to make a living. We're not saying you don't need a house or you don't uh, don't, uh, deserve to enjoy nice things. But what we are saying here is that if money is the only thing you're living for, you have set up an idol. Or if it's the primary thing that you're living for, you have set up an idol. And you cannot possibly serve God and simultaneously serve money. And so when, like Lot, you put money first, effectively you become an idolater and you end up being a worshipper of gold rather than a worshipper of God. Small wonder the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. There's no sin more abominable to the Lord than idolatry. Do you realize that? You know, many of us as Christians uh, get very uh, excited and very uh, animated about the sins of this world and we ignore the sins of the church and we ignore the fact that we ourselves have set up our own idols in our own hearts. You know, yet with all, the Bible is very clear that in terms of abominable sins, idolatry is an abomination. You see, I could certainly stand up here and shout and stamp and decry homosexuality from this passage and you would say amen and you would agree with me that that practice of that particular uh, form of uh, humanity is an abomination in the sight of a holy God and you would be right. But what about our idolatry? What about our sins? What about your love of money? Look in 1 Timothy, if you will, in chapter 6. First Timothy chapter six and, and verse six. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. First Timothy six six. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, clothes, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now notice it doesn't say necessarily that they are rich, but it says they that will be rich. One doesn't have to actually have money to be guilty of making money your God. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Listen friends, money isn't everything. And Lot should have understood that when he made his choice that day as he and Abraham decided to part company. He should have chosen more wisely and been less driven by personal materialism. And so should we. Then I want you to see something else back there in chapter 19 of Genesis and uh, verses 1 to 7. I want you to see that Lot was yoked to the ungodly. If you look there in verse 1, there's a very interesting little line there that that it says, and there came two angels at Sodom and Eve. and, And look at this, it says, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. By the time we arrive at Genesis 19, he's no longer living outside the perimeter of Sodom with his tent pitched toward the city. But now he is living within the city of Sodom. In fact, he is sat at the seat of of, uh, government in Sodom. That's what that phrase means when it says he sat in the gate of Sodom. It means that he was a city father. He was like a a local councillor, a local politician, possibly even the mayor of the city in modern day terms. He's become a spokesperson of that particular locality. He's become a representative of that wicked place. And he sits at that gate receiving the people day by day and dealing with their personal concerns. Now, we might think nothing of that. We might even say, well, wasn't it a good thing that Lot should be so community-minded? And so it would be. Was it not for the fact that this today is described in Genesis 13 as exceedingly wicked? Why would a godly man want to live in a place like that? Why would a godly father want to raise his daughters in a place like that? Why would a godly person want to conduct his business in a place like that? And notice in verse 7 of chapter 19 that he refers to the wicked of that city as his brethren. He said, and I said to you, I, and said, I pray you brethren, do not sue wickedly. Think about this. Here they are and they're pressing against his door. And they're seeking to attack and molest his visitors And rather than offend them, he calls them his brethren. Now that may be good for business. That may be what kept him as an elder at the city gate. That may indeed have allowed him to move through the ranks of the local trade guild. But it was a sin before God. And there's the sin of a backslider. Rather than being separate from the world, as the Bible calls us to be, he makes his friendships and his connections with the world. He considers the unsaved as brethren. He enters into fraternity with the ungodly as people with whom he should maintain a tight and close bond so that he may procure success in this world's terms and on this world's terms. Yet what does the Bible say, friends? It says, Friendship of the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whosoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Here were people in Sodom whose lives were wicked, whose lusts were wicked. No doubt their language was wicked. And yet with all, Lot refers to them as his brethren. Is that you? Do you value the fraternity of the lost above the fraternity of the Christian? Do you rather protect the brotherhood you have with the unsaved over the brotherhood you have with those who are saved? You know, one of the questions I have been asked multiple times actually since I've arrived here at Points Pass is why do we as a church take a position on the loyal orders when it comes to church membership? This is a good question. Here's one of the reasons why. Because when you enter into the loyal orders, you end up referring to some who are unsaved as your brethren. Now that's not the only reason, but that's one of the reasons. And imagine, you know, you're you're walking side by side with someone who's not a Christian, and referring to him as a brother, and having fraternity with the unsaved, friends. That's not how it ought to be. Do you consider the lost your brethren? Are you in fraternity with them? Do you sing the songs of Zion on Sunday and then sing the world's songs the rest of the week? Do you join hands with God's people on Sunday morning and join hands with the world the rest of the week? Do you use the same language that the world uses? Do you listen to the same filthy jokes the world enjoys? Are you entertained by the same nonsense on television? Are you enjoying the same questionable pursuits as your ungodly, unseer friends and colleagues? Well then you're no different from old Lot who referred to the wicked as his brethren. What does the Bible say about it? Let's look in Second Corinthians and chapter six. Second Corinthians in chapter six and verse fourteen. The Bible is very specific about this, very candid about where we should be with respect to the unsaved in our relationships with them. And it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What commonality do we have? What communion? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial. What harmony is there between Christ and Satan? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel, an unbeliever. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and will be their God and they shall be my people. Now notice the command. Wherefore, come ye out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Lord Almighty. Oh friends, Lot, Lot was yoked to the ungodly. Lot sacrificed his kids to the world. Look in uh, chapter 19 again and look at the response that Lot gave as he saw these men beating upon his door. Lot sacrificed his kids to the ungodly. Verse 4. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in unto thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Not in a friendly or neighborly way, but in an illicit way. And Lot went out to the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Now look at this. Behold now, I have two daughters which shall Not known man. That places them in their early teenage years. He says, Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. My goodness. Now before we say anything else this morning, let me just give a little caveat here. There are children who are brought up in very godly homes who go bad. And some who are brought up in very bad homes who live godly lives despite their parents. But one thing is for sure, no backslider ever raised their child as he ought, and no backslider ever set the example that he should, and no backslider ever raised his children truly in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that in the life of Lot. Some of his daughters married men of Sodom, and they were taken by the spirit of Sodom, and when judgment came, they were burned alongside the citizens of Sodom, judged by God in that place. His two unmarried children were equally infected with the sins of Sodom. For we get to the end of this chapter and we find that they, that they think nothing of getting their father drunk and seducing him. You see, they had no respect for him. They had no respect for themselves. And here's the deal. If you profess to be a Christian, but you live a compromised Christian life, this is the outcome. You lose all credibility. You lose the ability to touch the lives of others. You lose the respect of your loved ones, and you lose your kids to the world. How bad things have become in Lot's home is clear in this passage. Did ever a father make a more shameful compromise than Lot did? Offering his two daughters to the perverse citizens of Sodom. He was willing to turn his own two children over to the lusts of these men. Men whose friendship he wanted. Men whom he considered brothers. And men whom he wanted to do business with. You see when Lot moved into Sodom. Evidently he put his business first above the spiritual welfare of his own children and in the end he loses them all, both business and children, to the, to the world. You know, some of you may be losing your children that way. Day by day, sacrificing them to the gods of materialism and hedonism, exemplifying worldly ways, teaching them by example that God and Jesus and the church and the Bible are second best, that Christianity is what a Sunday morning thing. It's just a case of showing up at one service a week and ticking the box before God and then heading out and living just like everybody else lives. You allow the ungodly to be their role models, The music stars and the movie stars and the sports stars. Our young people sadly are amusing themselves with parental blessing by entertainers who glorify drug use and drunkenness. Who laugh off same-sex relationships. Who dress provocatively. You want to look at some of those music channels sometime if you can stomach it for more than a few seconds Look at some of the people that are being held up to our children as role models. I refer to them as strippers who sing. Do you really want your daughter to value those people? To value that lifestyle? To hold that up as success? To say this is the way to go walk you in it? Is that what you're really wanting to say? Do you really want him to, to be put before people who make light of everything that is good and godly and then they go that way and you'll hold up your hands and say, where did we go wrong? Why has our daughter turned out this way? Why has our son turned What did we do? Didn't we bring them to church? Do you really think that an hour in Sunday school and Sunday morning is, is going to mitigate against the hours and hours of seven days a week in which the world is bombarding their minds in school and out school and sometimes in your home? Sitting before your television set or your computer screen, filling those formative minds with every kind of filth and perversion that the world has to offer. You're sacrificing your kids to the world. Just as surely as Lot did, just as surely as the Israelites of old did when they handed their babies into the, uh, into the arms of Moloch and he dropped those little ones into the fiery furnace at his feet. You know, just as surely as people of ancient times sacrificed their children to false gods, there are Christians in this day and age who are sacrificing their children to the gods of this world. And you may be one of them. You should learn from the example of Moses. Look at Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10 will be in the book of Exodus tonight. But Exodus chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. Here we are in the midst of the ten plagues. Moses and Aaron, in verse 8, were brought again unto Pharaoh, and he said unto them, go serve the Lord your God, but who are they that shall go? He says, who are you going to take with you? And Moses said, we will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks, with our herds will we go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. Verse 11, what does Pharaoh say? Not so, go nigh ye that are men. He says, only the men are going to go. He says, you're not taking your wives. You're not taking your children. You're not taking your flocks. He says, I'll let you go. I'll let the men go. But I'm keeping everybody else here. I'm holding your family hostage. And you can go and serve the Lord. Verse 24. Pharaoh called the Moses and said, Go ye serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones also go with you. And notice what Moses said. Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. I love verse 26. Our cattle also shall go with us and there shall not be an hoof left behind. For thereof thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God and we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. Here's what Moses said when Pharaoh Pharaoh said, you go, but let me have your children. You go, but I'll hold your children to ransom. He said, not a hoof left behind. He said, we're all going or nobody goes. Friends, that's what the devil is doing to the backslidden Christian. He says, you serve your God. You sacrifice to your God. You do what you will. You even go to church once in a while. But let me hold your children. Let me hold your children. And the godly Christian looks and says, No sir, not a hoof. Not one. I'm living for Jesus and we're all going together. Then Lot gave in to the spirit of Sodom. Genesis 19 verse 30. Lot went up to the of Soar, dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him. For he feared to dwell in Zohar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. The firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and therefore, and there is not a man on the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. They were concerned about progeny. They were concerned about children. They said, Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. Now, I want you to notice something in this text. Notice the daughter said, Come, let us make our father drink wine. Here's my question for you. Where did they get that wine? Did ever ask yourself that question? I mean, they're out in the wilderness. They're on a mountain. Was there a bar in that cave? Did they just strike lucky and find the only pub there was on the mountains outside of Zoar? Outside of the plain? Did, did, they, did they happen upon a, a wine bar? Where did they get that wine in that cave? Well, here's the answer. They brought it with them. Lot brought it with him. Was he a drunkard when he lived in Sodom? Of course not. He was vexed day by day with the unrighteous deeds and unlawful deeds of his neighbors. But how significant it is that when he's fleeing his home, that the one thing that he thinks to bring with him is his wine collection. No doubt in Sodom, he was a social drinker wasn't one who got drunk. You know, you hear Christians say this all the time. Oh, I don't believe in drinking, drunkenness. I'm just a social drinker. That's like me. I don't believe in murder. I'm just a social murderer. What a nonsense this is. What complete nonsense this is. As if there's some sin that has a social element to it. He wasn't one who got drunk. In fact, he despised drunkenness. And yet he lies now in a drunken stupor and having entered into a sexual relationship with his own daughters that brings about two illegitimate births. You know, the first time you find wine in Scripture, we've covered it already, was when Noah planted a vineyard and got drunk and lay naked in his tent and exposed himself to his own sons. Now we come to the second reference to wine in Scripture and we see a very similar end. No wonder the Bible says, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Many Christians there are today. Who, in their backslidden condition, or in their liberal mindset, as just, as just as worldly in their view of alcohol as any drunken sot that sits in the bars of this village or any other. Let me tell you something no one who ever abstained from alcohol has ever run the risk that Lot ran. By not being a drinker. What's the Bible say? Proverbs 23, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. When it giveth his colour in the cup, when it moveth itself aright, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Oh, we see Lot's worldliness. But then we see Lot's weakness. Time is defeating us, but let me briefly touch on Lot's weakness. There were many consequences to Lot's compromise with the world, but perhaps by far the most sobering of these was how ineffectual his witness had become. Lot's sin had rendered him powerless. Notice Lot's witness with his neighbors was powerless. He called them brethren. He did business with them. He likely drank socially with them. He even offered his teenagers, teenage daughters to them and begged them to leave his visitors alone. But notice in verse 9, they said, this one fellow came in to sojourn and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. He had no influence over them. The Christian, listen to me, the Christian who drinks socially will struggle to bring his drinking buddies to Christ. Listen to me young woman, young man, the girl, the boy who goes out clubbing on Saturday night and comes to church on Sunday morning will find it very difficult to win their clubbing mates to Christ. The foul-mouthed Christian will not win the worldly companions he has for Christ. The Christian who is money-driven, and that's his primary drive and concern, will have no influence over his business partners when it comes to the things of God. Because he's just like them. And they will say, well, there's no difference between you and me. And there's nothing I do that you do don't do. And there's nothing I don't do that you don't do. They'll just make that comparison. They'll say there's no difference. Lot didn't win over his neighbors. The Sodomites despised and resented him for his double-minded lifestyle. And then Lot's witness with his sons-in-law Was absolutely powerless. Look at verse 14. Lot went out and spake unto his sons in law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons in law. Here were the boys who married his daughters. You might think at the very least he would have some influence over them. They surely had come into his home. They perhaps had seen him bow his head and offer a word of grace. They perhaps had seen him worshipping the Lord at some point along the way. But now we find his profession of faith ultimately is a joke within his own family circle. Nobody is taking him seriously. Is that you? Is that what it's like in your family circle? Is your Christian faith the butt of every joke, a big joke among your loved ones because they don't take you seriously. What a sorry state that is. His sons-in-law laughed as he warned them of hell. They mocked as he urged them to flee from the wrath to come. They made light of a Savior. They belittled him. Is that where you're at? With your family, your testimonies and tatters? Your loved ones don't want to hear a word from you. They don't want to know because your life doesn't marry up to your profession. Yes, they know you come to church on Sunday morning. Yes, they know you attend at points past Baptist church. Yes, they probably presume that everybody in the building is just like you are. Your loved ones don't want to hear from you. You're so caught up in the world. So caught up in worldliness. So caught up in society, so caught up in materialism, so driven by the things of this world, there's no power in your witness. You need to get your act together. You need to get your house in order. You need to set things up to where you can be an effective witness for Christ. And then Lot's witness with his wife was powerless. Look at verse 15. When the morning arose, then the angels hastened lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, he said, Escape for thy life. Now look at this, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Verse 26. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Now it seemed very likely that this woman was a native of Sodom. He doesn't have a wife when he leaves Ur of the Chaldees and comes to the promised land with Abram. There's no mention of a wife even when he separates from Abram And pitches his tent toward Sodom. There's no indication at that point that he has a wife. Though he may well have had by that point. But there's no mention of her until we get to chapter 19. And it seems very likely that he met this woman when he entered into the city. And he entered into an unequally yoked marriage. And this too is going to be a source of pain for him. And when it says there that Lot's wife looked back. You know understand that that is not just a glance over the shoulder. You might have forgave her that. You know, there's a powerful National Geographic documentary about the destruction of Sodom. It's really quite something to watch. They they have found what they believe are the remains of Sodom. You know, they don't often tell you this stuff, but they believe they found the remains of Sodom. And they believe that this city was struck by, in their terms, a meteorite that was hotter than the sun. Well, it wasn't a meteorite. It wasn't a natural thing that destroyed the city. It was a supernatural thing. But I've no doubt it was hotter than the sun. And everything was fused together. The whole city was melted together. The very rocks of the city melted when God destroyed it. And so you could, you could forgive this lady with such a dramatic event taking place behind her back. You could forgive her if she wanted to take a little glance just to see what was happening back there. But that's not what the word looked means. It doesn't mean that she was running out of Sodom and she just glanced back. It means she stood and took a long Lingering, listful, wishful, look at that place. Her heart was there. She was going to miss the high society companions. Her well-off neighbors, her fashionable clothes, everything she loved. But that place was cursed of God. And that's how it is with this place. Understand something. This world is God cursed. We're not to touch the accursed thing. We're to have no part of it. We're to be separate from it. We're not to be uh, we're not we're in it, but we're not to be of it. You know, Lot lost his wife. He lost her because he was a backslider, and he watched as her body was turned into salt and her soul fell into the depths of hell he lost his own wife because he was a compromising Christian who wouldn't stand up and be counted and wouldn't separate himself from the things of this world what a tragedy for this poor man and then finally Lot's witness with his two remaining daughters was powerless with a pall of smoke still rising over Sodom Lot sat alone with these two girls in a cave. They lost their mother. Think about this. They lost their mother. They lost their sisters. They lost their in-laws. Possibly nephews and nieces. They lost their homes. They lost their business, their livelihood. What man was ever given a better opportunity to speak about the holiness of God and the awfulness of sin and the reality of judgment than this man Lot had when he sat in that cave with his daughters. No man was ever given a better opportunity to reach his children than he was given. He got his daughters out of Sodom, but he couldn't get Sodom out of his daughters. And So as we have seen, they made it their business to get their own father drunken and seduce him. Oh, the misery of the backslider. There's so much we could say about Lot today. Lot sinned in so many ways. His obsession with money, his friendship with the world, his lust for success, his climbing of the social ladder, his drunkenness his incestuous behavior. What a tragic account this is. But as bad as all of these things are, do you know the worst thing about Lot? The very worst sin was that he was living a double life. He was a just man and a righteous man, but he was a hypocrite. A hypocrite who professed one thing and then practiced another. And many there are just like him. And friends, I can tell you I have been in the pastorate. Long enough, I'm long enough in the tooth to know that not to be taken in on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening by folks sitting in church wearing their Sunday best and looking like butter wouldn't melt. Listen, I understand, I know full well that we can all of us put on a front and look to be something that we're not. But understand that God sees through all the peripheries and God sees the heart and nothing is as abominable in his sight as far as the Christian goes as his hypocrisy. Professing one thing, practicing something else. You need to come out of Sodom. You need to come out from among them and be separate, to have a life that is holy completely dedicated to the Lord Jesus. Otherwise, your witness, and I can assure you, your witness will be just as powerless, just as weak, just as ineffectual, just as impotent as Lot's witness was. Your profession of faith would be every bit as amusing to your friends and to your family, and you run the risk of losing your nearest and dearest to an eternity in hell if you live that way well, brother and sister, this morning, what about it? Is it? not time to get real here. It's not time to sit up and say, you know what? This Christianity thing is serious. Christ is important. Christ is all. I need to stop playing around with this. Half in, half out. In church and Sunday in the world on Monday, no, I need to stop with this. I need to live for Jesus this morning. Maybe the morning that you need to think seriously about your Christian life. To take stock of the way that you behave outside of these four walls. And rededicate your life to Christ. Let's pray. Father, this morning, while a challenge we've had from the word of God. All of us, myself included, to live lives that are consistent, lives that are clearly Christian, lives that are distinctive. Lives that are separate from those around us so that people see the difference that Christ has made. Lord, if there's someone this morning you're dealing with, I pray that you would give them the grace to change and to transform their lives and to be what you would have them to be. To help them to yield themselves to thee. And to commit themselves to Christ afresh. Bless these thoughts to our hearts as we close our service and song. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.